Hello, I'm Nicola, Senior Investments Reporter at New Model Advisor. And today on the podcast, I'm joined by Georgia Stewart, the co-founder and CEO of Tumelo. Tumelo are a technology provider that works to give end investors the opportunity to participate in shareholder voting through both their personal and their pension investments. Um, and so today we're going to talk to Georgia a bit about Tumelo's integration into that space and also the potential for its technology to be perhaps integrated into financial advice and advisor platforms in future. So um, hi, Georgia. It's really great to speak to you today. How are you doing? Hi, Nicola. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm very well, thank you. I'm very good. Good stuff. Nice to nice to chat to you on this sunny Friday. Um so I guess, Georgia, to start, just generally, I wanted to ask you, you know, why do you believe it's important that investors who might have sustainable or responsible um, investment preferences um, to kind of look at companies that are transitioning and uh, might need that sort of um, pressure, if you like, from their investors to become a bit more green, um, you know, as well as companies that are already making an impact and already quite focused diving right in there with such a specific question so i think there's there's kind of been two waves of movement that are relevant here the first one was a divestment wave so this was the idea that actually in order to be sustainable you had to get out all of the unsustainable companies from your portfolio and i guess that was divestment or like negative screening as people would call it um and and that means you you effectively might not be investing in fossil fuels um and then i think the second wave which is where we are happily um, is much more focused on stewardship and much more focused on when you are an investor, how are you using your investment to drive change on the issues that you think will be material, whether they that means financially material or kind of material to societal outcomes or environmental outcomes. Obviously, if you're thinking over the long term, then all of those outcomes matter. Um, and using stewardship, i.e. engaging with companies and voting at companies on issues like pay or human rights in the supply chain or climate change um, targets that are set and not met or set and met um, is a great way to drive change in in end companies and therefore in investor outcomes. And I think it's taken us a while to get to this second wave, but we are really in it. Um, and I think that's what we're going to talk a bit more about today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for for a consumer who who has you know indicated to their financial advisor, for example, that they do want to invest in this way, they want investments that at least have some kind of positive um, impact. But obviously, you know, the, the the financial return is very important to them too. Why why is there kind of an opportunity to kind of meet both those goals um, when you're investing in companies that um, you know need to make a little bit more headway in terms of transitioning to to be a bit more green? Well, I think. I think there's an opportunity to make a lot of headway. It's <laughs> the one thing. I, like these are not small incremental changes that we're we're trying to achieve. At least not if you're talking from the perspective of, you know, your average um, advisor client in the UK who's probably quite concerned about some some major societal issues. And that doesn't have to be climate. Okay, like you know, it could be gender equality. It could be um, you know the way that the education system works. Any of these issues which are systemic are not only funneled and channeled and kind of can be leveraged through government, but can also be um, addressed through the private sector. And I guess when it comes to making money, which is obviously the the kind of point here, um, if you have a company who is underperforming on a specific metric and you think that if they were performing or kind of overperforming versus the benchmark 
on that metric, then it would make sense for you to engage with them or vote with them um, to drive that issue kind of higher up the agenda and, and get that company kind of in a better place. And you see that all the time with climate change is a good example where um, an activist investor might might see that actually there's an opportunity here because of a company perhaps like an Exxon is, is, is kind of underperforming versus its peers in the market. It's therefore being kind of shunned by ESG investors. So if they can invest and they can drive that company towards a better focus on climate, um, then then they might capture that upside um, when the rest of the ESG investor market kind of comes back and, and says, actually, okay, Exxon's, Exxon's doing all right. We can invest in it now. So that's just an example. You know, I'm not a financial analyst, but that, that's the type of... Um, thing that kind of some activist investors will will use voting and engagement to do yeah brilliant okay okay um Tim Mother obviously works with um some asset managers um in in the UK who are who are quite active in terms of stewardship so I just wanted I wanted to hear from you um in your opinion what do you think kind of best practice looks like from those companies in terms of engaging with the companies that they invest in and, and trying to kind of assert their influence? Yeah, it's a good question. And I guess my first thought when you asked that was, I wonder how many advisors are asking that question. You know, I wonder how often is stewardship part of the fund manager selection process? Um, and even if it is part of the selection process, is it monitored? And is it ever part of the the deselection process? You know, is is it has anyone on this listening to this podcast ever thought about stewardship in their reallocation decisions or in their divestment decisions from a specific manager? And I expect for the majority of listeners, the answer will be no. Um, and that is probably true for most asset owners around the world, or at least it was until maybe twelve months ago. And and very recently, in the last twelve months. We have started to see asset owners, like wealth managers, pension funds, endowments, charities, actually making reallocation decisions, or at least hinting at making reallocation decisions based on stewardship. And so I guess really what um, good practice looks like is a fund manager, um, I think, doing what they say they will do. Um, you know, if they have made net zero commitments, then they really need to be engaging with companies and expecting those companies to have a net zero plan because there are very few kind of large fund managers that are going to be able to reach net zero unless their underlying holdings also drive towards net zero. You can't you can't really get to net zero just by divesting. You need the companies in your portfolio also to improve um, their carbon footprint. So, I mean, that would be one example. Um, but, but I do think that... Um, the transparency around um, engagement is also a, you know, a good practice. Fund managers will say that they're engaging with companies and, and you know, the fund managers we talk to genuinely are engaging with companies um, and uh, or the ones we work with often generally are engaging with companies, uh, which which might mean speaking to the board, like actually having regular conversations about something like the kind of gender diversity or net zero, whatever it might be. There's obviously a kind of material, a financially material angle to those conversations. Um, they might be trying to link CEO or executive compensation to those conversations. Um, and they're, they're really following through. Some fund managers will send an email that may never be replied to by the company and call that an engagement. Um, that is the definition of engagement at some fund management houses. Not all, but, but, but some, many, I would say. Um, so I think as an advisor, really trying to understand that and demanding transparency on that um, is super important. 
and and I would the only thing I would add is that that's not easy to get like that data is not easy so if you're wondering you know why do I not know this stuff well it's because lots of people don't know this stuff and you have got at the moment in the UK lots of asset owners who are just for the first time waking up to the fact that they might have you know five different fund managers um, and they might all be voting or effectively in different ways to the extent that really the vote that that wealth manager has on behalf of their client is just completely cancelled out. You know, they've got half the fund managers voting one way and half on the other on a climate vote. They may as well not have voted at all by the time your your end investor is looking at it. Um, and and I, pension funds are really waking up to that at the moment. And then they, they are really thinking, you know, how can we take back control or how can we influence our fund managers so that we can actually align our vote with the things we know matter to our underlying investors which obviously is financial materiality, but also there are kind of societal and environmental effects that, that may be important to the underlying beneficiary, the underlying client. Mm, right, right, right. That's really interesting. So, yeah, it's a lot to kind of think about there. Um, I wondered, like, Georgia, just from your kind of insight into the the, the space, like how many, how, how active are asset managers um, in terms of, you know, being those kind of... In- those asset owners that are engaging with the the companies they're invested in like are are we talking about most asset managers most major asset managers um engaging with with stewardship or uh a a sort of select few like what what does the space look like um so i think we've seen a really big change in this over the last kind of five years um i would say that every asset manager will have a policy on it that should be available on the website um then the larger asset managers will have larger teams working on this. Um, you know, maybe like 20 people, 30 people um, working on stewardship and thinking about how to vote. I do think there's a huge difference between active managers and passive managers just because, not, not because of what they care about, because passive managers would make a good argument to say, like, you know, we own the whole market, therefore um, engaging with companies and, you know, driving progress, whatever we think that is is important because you know it's going to lift our whole portfolio rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing um and so they do care but on the active side they have far fewer companies so the pm of an active fund is much more likely to be connected to the individual management teams of kind of 30 companies or 50 companies that might be in their fund that they're looking at every single day and analyzing every single day whereas obviously if you're if you're looking after a passive book and you're a stewardship team you potentially have thousands of securities and there's no way that you're um, talking to all of them all the time and you have to really pick and choose your battles. And I think on the picking and choosing battles, um, that is where this becomes important. If you have a asset manager who has got clients um, on both sides of the kind of ESG spectrum or the political spectrum even, let's just use the US as an example. If you're a big asset manager and you've got clients based in Florida and you've got clients based in New York, it's very likely that those clients are going to have different views on a really big range of issues like climate. They probably think differently about abortion. They probably think differently um, about some some kind of diversity and, and kind of equality things, perhaps not the, the kind of foundational questions, but how you would implement them and kind of what meritor- meritocracy looks like. And um, I think that uh, it's very hard for those asset managers to kind of pick and choose their battles when they have clients asking for different things. And that's where it becomes important for the for the financial advisor or for the wealth manager to really be thinking, well, well which fund manager aligns with my views um, and the views of my clients or my firm, especially if you're discretionary. And if they do not align, 
is there a way that you could influence voting so that it does align or even take back control on behalf of your clients so that you can make the commitment to your clients that you know you stand for x y and z and that is how you your shares are voted as well definitely definitely yeah 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 it's uh it seems quite integrated really with um you know if clients do have quite a strong um quite strong preferences uh and and specific preferences when it comes to the way that they invest um i also so i wanted to ask you georgia if you could just um explain a bit more about what tomello does and exactly what pass-through voting is and why it is quite um quite a unique proposition yeah so just coming back to the point you just made, um, you know, I, for example, have got a net zero um, pension through my company. And um, it, so so it's underweight in fossil fuels, for example. And um, I am not able to control voting through that. So it's highly likely that for the fossil fuel stocks that I do own in my pension that are run by maybe American asset management firms, um, that when a climate change vote comes up at BP, like, you know, should BP align its um, emissions targets to the Paris Climate Agreement, um, it is highly likely that my vote on behalf of my shares says no. Um, And I think everyone imagines that, of course, people vote for climate issues, but it's absolutely not true. You know, fund managers generally actually don't support shareholder proposals and they generally support management who don't want the shareholder proposals to go through and that means votes like that climate vote get voted down or they don't pass um and i and i guess that's back to like why this is important for an end investor is that if i have gone so far as to take out a net zero pension and yet my vote is not in line with kind of the climate progress i'd like to see then i'm then i'm totally contradicting myself and what i'm trying to achieve with my investment and so that's really what tomato does to your question on kind of like what is Tomello, we are a financial technology company that helps the investment system to democratize voting so that individuals and institutions can align their voting with their investment outlook. So that I, when I invest in net zero pension, would also be able to make sure that I vote pro-climate um, or pro-gender diversity or whatever the things are that I care about. And that might be about animal welfare or it could be about CEO pay. Um, and it might be at the retail level. It could also be at the institutional level. So, for example, we have lots of um, local government pension schemes who kind of run their pensions through asset managers um, who have all of their the kind of money from the, from the local government pension invested in a pooled fund. And that means that that pension fund can't vote. The fund managers vote for them. And so what we are doing with our technology is allowing the pension fund to vote their portion of shares within a pooled fund. And that maybe sounds simple, but it's very difficult to work out how much someone owns of a pooled fund. It's very hard work for a fund manager to be able to do that. And that's why it hasn't been done up until this point. So we'll go into the fund manager, offer them the technology that allows them to divvy up the vote um, so that they could pass it back to a wealth manager or, or um, an institution or an individual retail investor. And from an experience perspective, like like what does that actually mean for a retail investor? It could mean that the wealth manager um, votes their shares on their behalf or they might pass them all the way down to retail. And in either scenario, they could set up an automated voting policy. So we have a range of policies available on the platform from, from lots of different providers. Um, so they could pick a policy that they think aligns with their investment outlook, with their values and overlay that on their portion of their, their funds. Um, 
or they could opt in to vote on individual issues. So they could tell you that they care about animal welfare and climate change more than anything else, or that they care about kind of consumer goods companies more than industrials. And we will notify them when there is a vote coming up for them to get involved in. And if they don't vote, um, then the vote falls back to the fund manager. So we don't end up with a whole lot of unvoted capital, but you are giving people the empowerment to be able to vote on the things that they know about and that they care about. Um, so there's lots of different ways to, to actually implement that solution, but um, effectively that's what we're doing, democratizing shareholder voting. Okay. And how are, how are, how is the end investor notified? Do they, do they receive an email or is it, you know, an ask or? Yeah, so... Uh, when it, when it, you know, a, a proposal is, is coming up or an AGM is, is coming up. So we, there's different ways that we can do that. The technology is really flexible. And like, to be honest, the hard part is that calculation, like how, how much do I own inside of inside my ETF or inside my mutual fund? You know, how If I've got X amount of a mutual fund um, and it maybe has three other funds inside it, how much Tesla do I actually have in order to be able to vote? So that that's the hard piece. The getting it to the investor um, can happen in multiple ways. Uh, we have a platform that people can actually log into um, and we can verify them as investors. This is the argument from McDonald's saying McDonald's shouldn't do anything. Um, and uh, here is um, your option to vote on this. You can vote in favor, against, or, or you can abstain. Um, and, and you can have that all within a platform um, or, or use our platform to do that. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so it so it's quite clear that the you know, with, with pass-through voting and being able to do that, it's quite clear the impact that that will have versus the impact if, you know, the the, the pension fund or the, the asset manager didn't have the opportunity for their investors to be represented. Because you, you said before that your vote would just kind of be assumed in one way if you didn't have that opportunity to, to go in and actually indicate your individual preference. Yeah, and I think I, I think it's important also to... Like the, the fund managers generally that control wealth in the world are based in the US, headquartered in the US, and obviously heavily influenced by um, US uh, politics, I suppose, um, and, and just kind of the demands of US consumers, um, which is quite different. The consensus on issues is pretty different than it is in the EU. Um, and I think that it is therefore important for perhaps a wealth manager to... to or for, for an investor to look under the hood and work out, you know, how is my fund manager actually voting? And does that sit well with me? And if not, you start to see the power of this solution. Uh, I think if people are anticipating that fund managers are voting in line with the way that they would expect them to vote, they might be surprised. And, and, that, and, and that's where um, ultimately allowing an investor to have control of the vote yeah, can be really influential. Um, and and, and you, we already see institutions doing that. So, just to give an example, um, Scottish widows run a pension on behalf of 3 million retail investors or more, um, 3 million pension members, sorry, or more. Um, and they manage their money with BlackRock and they also manage money, um, their money managed by State Street. Um, and there are other fund managers too, but, but both of those um, institutional investors have committed to um, allowing their clients to do party voting, to have control of the vote. And what that means now is State Street has, um, sorry, as uh, Scottish Winners has taken back the vote from BlackRock and actually votes the shares in the way that they want and therefore will, for example, more often vote in favour of um, climate vote proposals than, than BlackRock would uh, usually. And that means that they can 
hold true to the commitments they've made to their pension members about net zero and about, you know, um, trying to drive the systemic change in, in the UK economy and the world economy that, that they think is important for those pension members' outcomes. You know, it's about those people having the retirement um, that they want in 50 or more years' time. Yeah, yeah. And do, and do you think um, institutional managers, asset managers, you know, are you starting to see evidence of them attracting more investors if they are offering, you know, for example, Tomello's um, service and a means to vote as opposed to ones that, you know, aren't offering that? that opportunity for their investors yeah i mean definitely think that's true for the large asset managers um and, and you know the, we're seeing that kind of demand come through from from wealth managers and institutional investors who are you will say to their fund manager you know we need you to implement this or, or we may leave um or you know if once they've got it from a fund manager they wouldn't move i think uh, maria's being quoted saying that you know she's had a taste of pass-through voting and so uh, you know a future um Maria from Scottish Willows, that is, you know, a future fund manager would would really need to offer that to them for them to move their assets. So I definitely think it's becoming a standard in the industry uh, for the large fund managers. Um, and I think when it comes down to the wealth managers and um, kind of that channel through to retail, whether it's high net worth or kind of mass affluence, um, I think that this is a really, really interesting way to be able to engage people with finance in a way that no one has tried to before you know this is not about saying hey your portfolio is ESG you don't need to worry about it this is saying you know what issues actually matter to you is it abortion is it human rights is it um gender diversity is it workforce representation is it um climate change um and let us help you drive change on those issues you care about through voting um, and, you know, it, it's not time consuming. It happens, you know, a vote at McDonald's happens once a year. But if your client is interested in animal welfare, then kind of what better way to make them feel like they are driving um, impact on issues they care about than allowing them to vote at the biggest companies in the world. Um, and, I, you know, I think this is obviously very new for the, for the wealth management market. But I expect in five years time when a retail investor kind of arrives at your front door and says, hi, I want to invest, help me pick funds. You're also going to say, well, actually, we'd love to know how you want to vote. And we're going to build or set up a vote policy that, that represents your views and your preferences. Um, it's just, why wouldn't you do that? It, it seems crazy that, that we're getting to such a level of personalization and yet we would ignore voting. I'm sure it will be encompassed into this whole kind of personalized, preference-driven, values-driven approach that, that many fund managers are, um, or many wealth managers are adopting. Yeah. I mean, there is a huge market for bespoke investment portfolios where, you know, for investors who have specific preferences, um, you know, on the, on the sort of sustainability or responsible investment side of things. Um, so it sounds like that could present an opportunity in that space. Yeah, but, but I mean, even if you're... I was just thinking, I'm, I'm literally just thinking this through, but even if you're a wealth manager who, you know, so discretionary wealth manager and you've got model portfolios that you're running, you could theoretically have kind of two or three buckets you know that clients could go into so when, when you bring on a client you could say okay do you think you're this vote policy this one or that one you know do you want to go overweight climate or underweight climate do you, do you care most about human rights or do you care most about um gender gender diversity women's rights and and you could theoretically say right great here's your model portfolio and also um you know you're going to be in bucket one for vote policies and, and we'll up, keep you updated about you know how your vote's being used 
it wouldn't have even to be personalized on the individual investor level because I'm sure your clients will would um, kind of fall into cohorts. Um, and then it's about how do you get that content flowing through to the underlying clients? And that's something that we really help with. So on on some of the platforms we work with, like Cushion, um, you know, someone will get a notification to say, you know, your vote on McDonald's um, was this and this is actually what's happened at the AGM. And, you know, therefore McDonald's will be doing more on animal welfare over the next two years. And, you know, we'll keep you updated on that. I just wondered if uh, there were any barriers of uptake you perceive, um, you know, in the advisor and, and wealth management space and why, why you know, the option of pass-through voting hasn't hasn't quite uh, taken off yet. Yeah, so... So I think that one of the problems um, that has made pass-through voting difficult historically has just been like where data is held. So if I just talk through, a fund has say, you know, 50 or 100 or maybe a thousand underlying securities. Um, that information about how many securities or how many units of a security, uh, like, like a company like McDonald's, is usually sitting with a custodian, a city group or a Northern Trust or a JP Morgan. Um, the fund manager will have information about kind of the fund construction. So I guess the fund accounting system um, will have information about fund construction. So is it a fund of funds? Is it is it um, a single fund? Um, kind of saying really high level here, but they'll have data. And then obviously the wealth managers or the investment platforms are going to have information about who is the retail investor? How many units of this fund do they own? Um, how do we get in contact with them? And so the hard thing probably is putting together lots of different pieces of, of data. Um, but now that you see kind of a revolution in um, kind of automation and also just in kind of how data is stored in the back end of the wealth managers um, world, I think we'll start to see that barrier kind of reduce. So, for example, I think someone was saying, you know, we already have a, um, a JV between Inteliflow um and um, is it SCNC who will um, and and that already will will bring together two different types of data, which will hopefully make it easier to start working out. You know what's in a retail investor's portfolio and how can we contact them and how can we um, give them like, kind of more empowerment and more options without having to key in lots of information and share it with lots of different parties. Um, so I would say data is the biggest barrier, um, and actually that barrier is coming down. And so I think we'll see more and more of this type of activity, more and more personalization, and, and hopefully also in the voting space. Yeah, that's interesting on the kind of back-end data. Um, do you think as well there needs to be more transparency from the asset owners about um, just just about uh, the work that they're doing to kind of enact um, change? Because I think some advisors might say, you know, you know it's already... And, you know, particularly with discussion around greenwashing and things over the past years, they might say, well, it's we do find it tricky still to kind of find information about um, the kind of extent of the impact that, um, you know, our investments are having. So I wonder if maybe like um, sharing information about stewardship work, for example, is something else that uh, needs to be become a bit more open. What, what do you think? Well, yes, I think it should be transparent, um, but I it's more than should it's it's more I would say could it could be transparent and that could be an amazing opportunity um like we have we work with um large pension funds and we have rolled out our platform to kind of hundreds of thousands of underlying pension members um so these are not 
the kind of retail investors in the way that a wealth manager might typically have. But they are um, people who are invested in the market and effectively have someone else, a pension fund, representing their best wishes and kind of, you know, having holding that fiduciary duty on their behalf. And we have been able to drive really interesting um, kind of conversations, great engagement. So, so individual investors for the first time being able to see what's actually inside their pension, you know, what companies are there inside their pension, what's happening at those companies, what votes are coming up, and then being able to feed back information about what they care about. And so the pension fund for the first time then has information about kind of, you know, which of my investors care about what stuff. Um, you know, is it is it more females or more males driving that? Um, what are the demographics of the people who are getting involved and who aren't getting involved? Um, you know, do we know that there's a group that really doesn't care about this stuff and there's a group that does and therefore we can kind of use that to drive conversation with them? Um, and really interesting stuff's come out of it. I mean, for sure, the big pension funds have learned that, um, you know, they might not want to talk to this group about climate change because they don't actually answer any of the emails. And in fact, we know that they always click on an email that has animal welfare in the title. And that's the type of data that we can provide back um, that can then drive to like more personalization. And ultimately, what personalization does is drive engagement and it helps to close that advice gap. It helps to close the gap of you know people who feel alienated by the financial system versus the people that feel like they're on the inside. And what we want to do as an industry, right, is, is make more people feel like they're on the inside. More people feel empowered. More people feel like owners. And that is good for everyone because more people will be entering the financial system, be entering the kind of investment system, and there'll be, there will, it's more assets to go around, more assets to be managed, more assets to be advised. Um, and obviously, it's better for the end investor. Um, hopefully, this can lead to a better financial outcome for them over the long term. So I think this is about so much more than just being transparent about stewardship. I, I think it's a really amazing opportunity for advisors and wealth managers, investment platforms, pension funds to like reconnect with people who feel pretty scared and alienated by finance and help them realize it's not that complicated. You know, it's a company that you know and probably buy from and, you know, they are working through issues that you know about and care about and get involved that way. Yeah, definitely. Georgia, it's very, I feel like it's atmospheric and kind of relevant to the discussion that the, the airplane noises in the background of this recording. <laughs> um, I also just wanted to touch on something you said earlier, um, the, the example, really interesting, by the way, about, about Scottish widows and kind of changing where they were invested on behalf of their, their pension clients. Um, I mean, can you see a time where bottom-up pressure from advisor clients is actually kind of, you know, on, on like voting and, and shareholder empowerment is actually swaying, you know, swaying where and, and who those advisors are choosing uh, or, you know, who they're recommending that their clients invest with. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that's already happening. We're already seeing um, fund managers, oh, sorry, asset owners taking control on voting from fund managers. We're seeing large pension funds kind of stay with managers who are great at stewardship. Um, and you can talk about leaving fund managers that are not. I think wealth managers will start doing the same. I, I was at um, a conference yesterday called Meeting of Minds, and it was about it was for wealth managers, and um, lots of people came and were talking to me about what they do in the stewardship space, um, and and the kind of type of analysis that they're trying to get hold of if they don't already have it, or that if they already have it, the type of analysis they're doing. 
um, on fund managers and the conversations they're having. And, you know, just a large discretionary fund manager, uh, sorry, a wealth manager in the UK was telling me yesterday that they were, um, you know, having a conversation with one of the top asset managers saying, you know, we're really unhappy with your voting. Like how, how can you, are you going to change your voting? And, and obviously I think the impression that they got back was no, you know, that big fund manager is not going to be able to change their voting for this one you know, wealth client, however big they might be, however much of a distributor of their funds they might represent, because because in the grand scheme of things, they're still relatively small because these massive are managers so massive, you're talking about trillions of assets. Um and and so I think that wealth manager is then faced with the decision of, well, should we move away um from this fund manager because the way they're voting is kind of incoherent with with the message that we are sending to clients about what we think is important. Um or should we take back voting and, and kind of overlay a vote policy that we think is more representative of, of what we're doing? And as, so long as that second option doesn't have to be a big burden, you know, as long as you don't have to hire people to make that happen. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, using something like Tomello means you can do that much more easily than, than you might have been able to a couple of years ago. Um, I think that's a viable option. Um, but so is reallocation. You know, I don't think that... Um, you know, I think if you genuinely are, you know, absolutely feel abhorrent about how your fund manager is voting, then then, then moving away from that fund manager is, is a very clear way to send a message as well. I do think that was what I was yeah. saying. And, and it would be very cool to see a day when, you know, when on a retail platform, you would be able yourself to look at, you know, say, oh, well, I really care about um, climate issues. And, you know, I think that's material to my investments. Uh, how's how is this fund manager that I'm thinking about investing in um voted on climate and uh, you know with 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 the dawn of AI I haven't really talked about that but that there's no way in five years time that that these platforms like like Hargreaves you know don't have chatbots where you will just be able to query that kind of question um the FCA are gonna probably uh force asset managers to make their data more machine readable as well and, and therefore those two things will come together and you'll be able to as a retail investor find out you know how is my fund manager voting on issues that I care about and you know at least I hope you will you will we'll try and make that happen. yeah 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 there's a there's a really interesting question here I feel around responsibility particularly as you say as as data just becomes so much more readily like available and accessible and presentable um and you you probably like know all about the FCA's consumer duty and and for financial advice firms that's something that's going to come into force in the next few months um, but, you know, I wonder if you think that um, particularly, I suppose, for advisors that might have clients who have quite specific um, ethical investment preferences, whether you think like under the consumer duty, um, you know, these advisors looking into opportunities like pass-through voting is, is something that's really kind of um, something they should consider uh, under that. Well, I mean, what consumer duty is all about putting the needs of the customer first, right? And and making communication really clear. And I think this plays into it perfectly that, you know, I guess it's two things. It's one, if you know your customer cares about something, then it becomes your duty to make sure that that is uh, kind of followed through in the investments and that goes beyond what funds you invest in to how the fund manager votes. And, and I think that's going to become super clear. Like the FCA care about this, the pension regulator care about it, the Department of Work and Pensions care about it. They're all talking about stewardship and the fact that it's been this kind of long ignored, long delegated um, thing that, that people have got to start taking seriously. And, and by people, I mean kind of asset owners and wealth managers who, who are working on behalf of the kind of more vulnerable pension member or retail customer. Um, 
And then I think on the communication side, similarly, if if um, if you're not implementing something or if you are implementing something, telling those consumers what you're doing and, and making sure that I guess your customers understand um, kind of what it is that you're putting in place on their behalf is, is I mean, super important. Definitely. Um, that's, George, that's a lot of food for thought there. And I think that's a, that's a good note to end on. Um, so look, thank you so much again for, for joining us on the, on the podcast today. Um, it's been really, really interesting. Um, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, Georgia, if, if any of our listeners do want to um, learn more about Tumelo and also I think the, the providers that you do work with, um, where, where could they find more information? Yeah, well, I think um, we have a website, www.tumelo.com. It's T-U-M-E-L-O. Um, and through there, you can uh, request a demo and that email will come through to me and the partnerships team. Um, so we'll be able to kind of talk to you more about what we're doing. Um, we're doing a lot of um, kind of experimental work at the moment. So I think if anything we've said here that has piqued your interest, um, we would love to talk about like just exploring what's possible and kind of what you're interested in making happen um, rather than expecting something off the shelf to work on day one. Um, we're certainly still kind of in that phase. I mean, we, we have a lot of products live in the market, but I think as we move towards a kind of more wealth management centric view, um, we'll, we'll need to adapt and, and make sure that it works for that that market, that industry. So yeah, I would head to the website or have a look at our LinkedIn page. Um, I'd, be, I'd be really happy to share more, go into more depth on, on any of this stuff brilliant thank you thank you so much i mean if if any listeners have any questions for georgia um feel free to to uh reach out to us at new model advisor as well um i'm nblackburn at citywire.co.uk um or you can find us on twitter we're at new model advisor um georgia thanks very much again and everyone for listening thanks so much nicola that was great